Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God, and went to God, he rose from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. You will hear me better if I turn on the mic, so. God is good, isn't he? God is good. Let's have prayer before we look at the word. Heavenly Father, we want to pause and thank you today for your love for us. We want to pause and thank you for these words that, knowing what was ahead, Jesus now showed his disciples the full extent of his love. And today, as we share here together, we pray that you will show us the full extent of your love for us. And we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. John 13, verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Let me ask you a question. How many of you like roller coasters? How many of you have ever been on roller coasters? <laughs> I never had until I was down in Pennsylvania in Allentown. I had gone there to college and I stayed one summer because I had a couple of jobs available and and one of the professors, he and his wife, were headed back to Ohio to take care of their bee business. And so he allowed myself and another student to stay in his house. And my pastor there had four children, a son, a daughter, and twin girls. And they were full of energy. And they invited me one day to go with them to Dorney Park, which was an amusement park outside of Allentown. And I had never been on any of the rides, maybe a merry-go-round here at the fairground, never been on a, any, a roller coaster. And I'll tell you, they talked me into going on the roller coaster. And it wasn't just a regular roller coaster. This one had the loop-de-loop -loop in the middle of it. And I'll tell you, I got off from there, and it was not nice. <laughs> I will never go back on another roller coaster. But you know, as we come to this point in Jesus' life, as we would take the time to read about the last week, the last days, the last hours of his life, it was like a roller coaster. He raised Lazarus from the dead, which was wonderful. They had a celebration, which was wonderful. We see him 
going into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and what we know as a triumphal entry. And yet, even as some are praising him, the teachers of the law are trying to find ways to kill him. It was a mess. And I cannot believe the emotional roller coaster that Jesus was on. As we come to this portion of scripture, we come to a time which should have been a time of celebration. It was just before the Passover feast. It was a time to remember, to pause, to celebrate what God had done many, many years before. The Jews celebrated Passover in remembrance of the first Passover celebration on the night when the Israelites, under Moses' leadership, were brought out of Egypt. They had been in bondage there for around 430 years, slaves there in Egypt. Moses had gone back and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh would say yes, and then he'd say no, and he'd say yes, and he'd say no. And, and finally, the Lord sent some plagues, and the Lord said, you know what, it's time to get my people out. And he gave instructions for the Passover. They were to gather, they were to make unleavened bread, no yeast, because they were supposed to exit quickly. You know, anybody who does any baking, yeast takes time. They were to do the unleavened bread without the yeast. They were to slaughter a lamb, and if there was not enough people in one family for, to eat the lamb, they were supposed to gather together with others. They were to slaughter the lamb, take the blood, and sprinkle it on the doorpost of the doors of where they were living. And the promise from the Lord was, when the death angel came through Egypt on that night, the death angel would see the blood on the doorpost and he would pass over that house. It was a time of haste, of getting ready, of preparing. They were to have everything ready to go. In fact, the Bible says they were to plead with the Egyptians for things to take with them for their journey. Well, that night, the death angel came. The Egyptians, of course, they did not follow this because they were not part of God's people. Every single household of the Egyptians, the firstborn son, died that night at the hand of the death angel. But the Israelites, God's people who had heard that command and had put the blood on the doorpost, the death angel saw that blood and passed over. When they awoke in the middle of the night, there was great grief, there was great heartache and the Egyptian households, not only had their firstborn sons died, but the firstborn of every animal died that night at the hand of that death angel. But God's people were spared. God's people were wonderfully and gloriously spared. And they left that night with unleavened bread, having eaten the lamb, having made preparation. They left that night. And the instructions from the Lord was every year after that, they were to pause and celebrate this wonderful deliverance at the hand of God. And so as we see the disciples and Jesus coming to this time, they are there to celebrate, to remember what God had done so many, many years before. And it was a time of celebration. 
And the Bible tells us that Jesus had made preparations for them to go and have a place where they could join together to celebrate that meal. I didn't realize this, but normally somebody else would have made the preparations, but the Bible tells us that Jesus went and made those preparations. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew that they were there to celebrate the Passover feast, but he also knew what was coming in his own life. He knew that the time had come for him to wrap up his ministry, to leave this world, and to return to the Father. He also knew that he was the one who had come to be the true Passover lamb who would fulfill all of the prophecies in regard to the Messiah or the Savior, to be the mighty deliverer who would set the people free from not just a human ruler, not just a human problem, but to set the people free from sin. He knew why he had come. He knew where he was going. I think it's important for us to see this. So many times as we come to this point in the gospel accounts, it would seem as if Jesus was just a pawn in the hands of men. That they were doing what they wanted to do to him. We look at it as people being cruel, but this was his destiny. This was the reason for why he had come. But unfortunately, not everybody knew that. Not everybody understood that. Not even the disciples understood that. Wow. Unfortunately, not everybody knew that Jesus had come for this very purpose. But as we come to this point in scripture, as we come to the upper room, we see not a time of celebration, but we see a time of turmoil. And I'm going to share some thoughts here from Tim Roll from his book, The Day That Changed Forever. It says, in an upper room, in one of the many stone houses in the city, a group of men were gathered in heavy-hearted silence. They had been that way all day. Moody, grouchy, overly sensitive. An argument had broken out among them when the mother of James and John had the audacity to ask Jesus if her two sons could have the seats of authority on his right and left hand when he took his kingdom throne. Jesus' response was grim. He told her that she had no idea what she was asking, no idea what the price would be for him to return to his throne and his home in heaven. The incident had set them off. Unspoken agendas and unholy attitudes came to the surface as unseemly behavior, scowling and sniping at each other as outward evidences of anger boiling just under the surface. Jesus had surprised them by saying he had prepared for the Passover meal. They were to look for a man carrying a water pot, odd because this was a woman's job, and follow the man to the appointed place. They were so wrapped up in their own feelings that they were oblivious to the heart of their teacher and his own needs. And let me say something here. If we think about this for a moment, they were still, even the disciples were still looking for Jesus to overthrow Rome and set up an earthly kingdom. But that was not why he had come, was it? He had come to the earth 
as a servant of God, to be born, to live among the people, and eventually to lay down his life for the people. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they did not understand. Even Jesus' disciples did not fully understand that. Wow. And they had been with him. They had listened to his teaching. They had walked with him. They had been taught by him. They had served with him. And yet, they had their own agenda, didn't they? And as we move on, we'll see that some of them had a totally different agenda. But hold, hold that thought for a moment. The, go, the, the author goes on to describe the significance of the night. Jesus' last night with them. This meal and this intimate time and preparation for the next hours. But one major detail had been overlooked. Have you ever done that? Planned a great celebration and overlooked something significant, something important? Forgot to buy a certain thing for the festive meal? We all are human. We tend to forget. Um, I was thinking as I was sharing this, have I ever done that? I probably have. But what comes to my mind as I'm thinking about this is of a time when my brother and his wife and two daughters were up visiting from Scotia. And he's a cook, okay? He's on par with Jim and Nate and some of your other folks here. He loves to cook desserts, cheesecakes, wedding cakes. He loves to, so I, in my own mind, felt I had to outdo him and plan a wonderful, wonderful meal. And so I got up early and started preparations for homemade cinnamon rolls. Got them all ready, got them in the oven to rise. And you know what happened? Poof! Power went out. And it didn't come right back on either. My plan was a big, nice, big pot of soup. The power did not come back on. The whole morning like, went like that, and finally, in frustration, I think it was probably my husband said, oh, we got a barbecue on the back deck. Let's just barbecue some burgers, and so we did. And as soon as we barbecued the burgers and got things ready, the power came back on. <laughs> but isn't that the way things go sometimes? And it's frustrating, especially when we forget something or when things don't go our way. Well, one minor detail, or one major detail, I should say, had been overlooked. In that time and in that culture, individuals would bathe prior to such a time of celebration. But each household would provide the means of cleansing their feet when they entered the home. You see, they had sandals. They had dusty robes. So even though they had bathed, the feet would still be dirty. So they always made provision. They always made provision. They would have a pitcher of water by the door, a basin, a towel, and a servant to wash the feet of those who were entering. And guess what they forgot? They had the pitcher of water there. That was ready. They had the basin there. They had the towel there. But there was no servant there ready to wash the feet of the disciples, ready to wash the feet of those who entered. And as they came in, they just walked right on by. They were still upset over other things that had happened that morning. Judas was already making plans with some of the teachers of the law to betray Jesus. None of them gave that a thought. 
they made their way to the table and reclined at the table. Their table was not like what we had, and it's not like what we see in the pictures of the Last Supper. They were not long tables like you have out here in the fellowship hall. It was a low table, and they reclined at the table one against the other. So guess what's obvious as they're leaning at the table one against the other? The dirty feet. And they all just sat there and did nothing. And you know what? I'm, not, I'm going to be honest with you. I think that even increased the tension in that room. Can you sense the tension? Can you sense the frustration? Can you sense the anger? What should have been a time of celebration was far from it. What should have been a holy moment became a not-so-holy moment of turmoil and unrest. But as they were reclining at the table, one person got up, and that was Jesus. He got up, he took off his outer robe, he went to the doorway, he poured some water from the pitcher into the basin, wrapped the towel around himself, and began to wash the feet of the disciples. What a beautiful picture. What a tender picture. What a tender picture. Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, now taking the role of a servant. And let's think for a moment. Whose feet did Jesus wash? Whose feet did Jesus wash? What do you suppose went through his mind as he made his way around the table? What do you think went through the disciples' mind as he made his way around the table? I'm going to be honest with you. He probably had no problem washing the feet of some of those disciples. John. John was the beloved disciple. It must have been easy for Jesus to pause and wash his feet. He was so easy to love and such a good friend. Andrew. Andrew was probably one of my favorites because every time we see Andrew in the gospel accounts, he's always bringing somebody to Jesus. I like that. He had a very humble heart, a servant heart. Matthew, whom he had called from collecting taxes, And Matthew literally left everything to follow Jesus, his whole livelihood and everything. And then there was Judas Iscariot. There was Judas Iscariot, the treasurer of the group. And we are told that as treasurer of the group, there were times he liked to help himself to the money bags. Mm. Not good. But Judas not only was dishonest with the money that had been entrusted to him, he'd already made plans with the teachers of the law to betray Jesus. For what? 30 measly pieces of silver. He'd already made plans. And Jesus knew that. And in his heart of hearts, he knew that. How do you think Jesus felt as he came to Judas? 
Do you think he lingered a little longer here? Do you think he might have been tempted to just skip Judas altogether? Do you think maybe he stopped and prayed a little longer, a little harder over Judas? What we see here is Jesus extending grace. And then there was Peter. Some say that Peter was the first one whose feet were washed by Jesus. I don't know. The scripture really does not tell us, but Peter was the one who was most vocal. In fact, when Jesus came to him, Peter just outright said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I'm Peter, you know. Are you going to wash my feet? Peter was ready to refuse and even vehemently proclaim, no, you shall never wash my feet. That's Peter, isn't it? And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Was Jesus talking about washing his feet or more? Peter finally yields, but now he wants Jesus to not only wash his feet, but his hands and his head as well. Wow. There's a lesson here for us. There's a lesson here for us. There are times when we need that washing. Back in 2018, in September of 2018, we lost my father. He had made plans to go down and meet my brother Tom down in Warrensburg for their townwide yard sale. <clears throat> early that morning, I think it was probably 5.30, it was very early, the phone rang. And I'm going to be honest with you, as a, as a pastor, I've always hated those early morning phone calls. But my brother said to me, Dad's not here. He said, I, I may have the wrong meeting place, and you'd have to know my brother. His sense of direction is not there. <laughs> so he said, can you give me his cell phone number and I'll see if I can connect with him and meet up with him. He called the cell phone. He called us back. Nothing. I called his house phone. I called the cell phone. Nothing. And I finally said, I'm going over there. And Rudy said, no, I'm going. I'm going in case something has happened. And he went over and found my father dead in bed. He never made it out of the house, never made it to Warrensburg. And so for four years, I had the responsibility, I want to say privilege, but it was a responsibility of taking care of my father's estate, taking care of the wills, taking care of the estate, taking care of the property. And one morning, it was a Thursday morning, I had Bible study that afternoon. I always shower first thing in the morning, and Rudy said, let's go over and clean out some of the stuff from the house. And we did. And I'll tell you, I came out of there head to, toe, head to toe grime. I was so filthy, and I said to Rudy, I said, I hate to, but I'm going to have to take another shower before I go to Bible study. And as I was in that shower, taking the shower that morning, God met me. I'm going to tell you something. The holy place in our house is my shower, because that's where God meets me. But he said to me, you know, he says, you've been cleansed once, but there's the daily grime that needs to be addressed. And I think this is what Jesus was saying to Peter. You come to me and I forgive your sins and I cleanse you. But you know what? Sometimes there's the daily grime, like the sand on your feet, that needs to be washed away, that needs to be cleansed away. We're going to work our way to communion this morning, but I want to say to you, as we prepare our way, if there is anything in your heart that needs to be addressed, this is a good morning to address it. And if there's some daily grime that has kind of built up, this is a good time to address it.
But what a beautiful picture we have here. Jesus going around that table and taking the time to wash his disciples' feet. Wow. Jesus, teacher, rabbi, took the role of the lowliest servant to prepare his disciples for what was to come. And Jesus now goes on to talk about the example he had set. He said in verses 14 and 15, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you, should, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Look at that for a minute. He doesn't say, now it's your turn to come wash my feet. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, learn from my example and be willing to wash one another's feet. Learn to serve one another. Wow. He encouraged them to put aside their own agendas and to humble themselves and to serve one another. Sometimes it might need be the need to wash their feet. Sometimes it might be the need to do something else, but he said, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves and be willing to serve one another. And then John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. How many times does he say that here? I am telling you, I'm giving you a new commandment. And that commandment isn't just to serve, but that commandment is to love one another. He taught them that others would know that they were truly his disciples if they would love one another. In his book, Hope Again, When Life Hurts and Dreams Fade, Charles Swindoll shared the following story. One of the most profound comments made regarding the early church came from the lips of a man named Aristides, sent by the Emperor Hadrian to spy out those strange creatures known as Christians. Having seen them in action, Aristides returned with a mixed report, but his immortal words to the emperor have echoed down through history. Behold how they love one another. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that precious? But Jesus had said that people would know those who were truly his disciples by the love that they had for one another. Can I do a little bragging here this morning? The first Sunday that Rudy and I walked into this church, you met us with open arms. We came hurting. We came broken. We came bruised. But we walked in that door. Marsha met us with a hug. Deborah Jock met us with a hug. You all just showered love on us. And we knew, we knew we were with family. Wow. God is good, isn't he? And we thank you for being the church family that you are. But let's move on here. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not include this incident of the washing of the feet of the disciples. Instead, they go right into the Passover meal and to the breaking of bread. 
and the sharing together at the Passover meal. Jesus broke bread, dipped it in the wine, gave it to Judas, and told him to go do what he was supposed to be doing. The others thought he had business to tend to because he was keeper of the money bags, but he went out from there and betrayed Jesus. But as they were around that table, they came to that fourth cup of that Passover Seder. Their hearts had been prepared through the washing of the feet. But they came to that fourth cup, and Jesus took the unleavened bread from that Passover Seder, and he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said to them, take and eat. Every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me and my broken body, broken for you. And then he went on to take the wine, and he gave them the wine, and he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood, which seals the covenant. It is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood, like the Passover lamb that had been shed so many years before. This is my blood, which has been shed for you. What's he doing here? He's not telling them, just instituting a new meal. He's instituting a new covenant, isn't he? Just as that bread was baked and shared at that first Passover, so I am sharing with you now, only what I am sharing with you isn't just bread, it's my broken body. And he goes back to the blood that was shed by that lamb that was put on the doorpost. When the death angel came, it saw the blood and passed over. And Jesus is saying, I am shedding my blood for you. I am shedding my blood so that your sins can be forgiven. I am shedding my blood so that you can have new life. Mark my words, from this moment, I won't drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom with you. What a precious time. But he took what they knew from the Passover and brought it up and related it to himself and said, I'm laying down my life for you. I am doing it. It's not being taken away from me. I am laying down my life for you for the forgiveness of your sins. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. The Bible tells us, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of this love. He did this by humbling himself in that upper room and taking the role of a servant and washing his disciples' feet. He did this by becoming for them and for all of us the broken, unleavened bread that symbolized the Passover bread broken before that deliverance from the hand of the Egyptians. He did this by becoming for them and for us that Passover lamb whose blood would be shed to take away the sin of the world. Isn't this precious? He took what they knew and brought it to himself, brought up to the present to himself, applied it to himself, and has presented the new covenant. The deliverance that he would bring would be far greater than anything that the Egypt, they had known from the hand of the Egyptians. He would not just deliver them from a foreign country.
he was going to deliver them from the power of sin. Isn't that precious? Isn't that precious? Wow. God is good, isn't he? God is good. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. I'm going to have prayer first. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. But as they are leading us in a song, I would encourage you to come. We've got the communion elements here. The bread and the cup are all together. The juice are all together to come and take it and bring it back to your seats. Um, And then I'll give you further instructions. But my prayer this morning, if there is anything in your heart that God has spoken to you about, if you have never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, if you have never found that forgiveness in him, this is a perfect time to do that. Or maybe some of you are dealing with that daily grime like I had that day after cleaning in my father's house. You know, you found the Lord as your savior. He's forgiven your sins, but you've allowed some things to accumulate. You need fresh cleansing. My prayer is that you would seek the Lord's forgiveness, find fresh, fresh life in him as we join together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for Jesus' love for us. Thank you that Jesus was willing to show us the full extent of that love, not just by accomplishing something out in heaven someplace where we never know about it, but for dying for all to see for laying down his life, for shedding his blood for all to see. Thank you, Lord. And Heavenly Father, as we prepare our hearts to share in communion together, if there is one who has not yet received you as their Savior and Lord, we pray that this would be a turning point for them. And if others are struggling with daily grime that's accumulated through the dailiness of life, that this would be a turning point for them, that they would just come for fresh cleansing. Be with us in these moments, and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. I would encourage you, if you want to participate in the communion service, to come, take a cup. It's got both elements there, and then we'll join together in in the communion service. There's no silver or gold and no treasure untold that could draw me away from your heart. Neither love of myself or of anyone else will do. I know I find 
unending love. Letting go of my pride, I lay down my desires just to worship in spirit and truth. More than Now I'll 
if you gain nothing else from this service today, I want you to know you are loved. God loved you so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for you. Jesus loved you so much that he died on that cross for you. You may be seated if you'd like as we share in communion together. Uh, these little cups are a little tricky. There's a couple of layers here, and I found that out the hard way when I tried serving this at a Violet's home one day. But if you peel back the first layer, there's a wafer. In that upper room, Jesus took the bread. He broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So today as we take and as we eat of this bread, let's remember that Jesus died on that cross. He allowed his body to be broken for us, for our sins, so that we could have the forgiveness of sins. Let's eat together. If you peel up the next layer, there's the juice. And Jesus took the fruit of the vine, the cup, and he shared it with his disciples. And he said, this is my blood, or this represents my blood, which was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. In Hebrews, we are told, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The men of that day in that upper room would have understood that every time they sinned, they had to offer a sacrifice. Every time they sinned, blood had to be shed. Jesus died on that cross. He allowed his blood to be shed once and for all, for us. That's wonderful, isn't it? So as we drink here together this morning, let's drink thanking him for the forgiveness of our sins that he loved us enough that he shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. Let us drink together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your great and wonderful and awesome love for us. We thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to pay the penalty price for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have new life, so that we could have that hope of eternal life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, help us as we go forth from here today to go forth rejoicing in that new life that is ours through Jesus Christ. And if there is someone who does not know that this morning, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts. And Lord, help us to share that love with them as a church family. Be with us now as we go forth from here. Watch over us and keep us in your care as we go into a new week. And may our lives, Heavenly Father, may our lives be a radiant witness and testimony to those around us of your love and of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.